What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News? First, our top stories. As the House searches for its next speaker, sparks are flying around Congressman Matt Gates. Some in the GOP think he should face consequences. And top Democrats head to late Senator Dianne Feinstein's funeral today to honor her legacy and service to the country. President Biden soon to deliver a major speech on Ukraine. What's the future of Ukraine aid as it faces uncertainty after the ouster of Speaker Kevin McCarthy? One of former President Trump's trials could be delayed. Find out what his team in the classified documents case is asking for. As United Auto Workers Union strike nears a third week, are contract talks making strides toward an anticipated agreement? Some sources are saying so. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, a lead candidate for House Speaker is saying he's against Ukraine aid, but President Biden says he will find a way around it as he prepares for a major speech. Joining us now live is NTD's White House correspondent, Iris Tao. Iris, what's on Biden's agenda? Good afternoon to you, Chris. So President Biden right now is about to get a briefing from his national security team on the topic of Ukraine. And on Wednesday, President Biden said that he will soon give a major speech on Ukraine and make the argument that it's overwhelmingly in the interest of the United States for Ukraine to succeed. And all this is as the future of Ukraine aid is called into question as one of the leading candidates for U.S. House Speaker Congressman Jim Jordan said yesterday that he would not support another aid package for Ukraine. Watch. Pressing issue on Americans' minds is not Ukraine. It is the border situation and it is crime on the streets. And everybody knows that. So let's address those. And let's not forget that a short-term funding bill passed last weekend while McCarthy was the speaker also did not include any additional aid for Ukraine amid opposition by GOP lawmakers. And President Biden yesterday when asked what if Congress does not approve more aid to Ukraine and said this. We can support Ukraine in the next tranche that we need. And there is another means by which we may be able to uh, find funding for that. But I'm not going to get into that now. The White House said earlier this week that it will soon announce another aid package for Ukraine. But it remains to be seen how a new speaker in the House could change the way how U.S. taxpayer money goes to Ukraine. Back to you. Thanks for the update, Iris. Is funding for Ukraine on the fritz? Any House speaker candidate will have to tread lightly around this fraught topic, with some Republicans vowing not to vote for any pro-armament candidates. China economic analyst Antonio Grisefo weighs in on the future of the tenuous Russia-Ukraine war. Antonio Grisefo, thank you for joining us. The U.S. arming of Ukraine will be a key issue in the debate over the next House speaker. For example, hardliners like Marjorie Taylor Greene vow to oppose any pro-armament candidates. How could the House Speaker debacle impact the U.S. funding for Ukraine? Well, the issue is that Congress holds the purse strings of government. So it, it would be Congress that makes the decision about whether or not that money you know, is sent to Ukraine. So, of course, the final decision really is made in the House. Got it. And uh, what about the debacle part? You know, how could the fact that we're probably going to see a fight over 
the next House Speaker impact that funding? Right. And then it depends if the next House Speaker is one that supports Ukraine aid or one that does not. If the new House Speaker supports Ukraine aid, it's going to be much easier to pass the um, you know, spending or the, or, the, or the aid to Ukraine. And if they oppose it, it'll be difficult. And the question is, will the Republicans in the House support a Republican who wants to send more aid to Ukraine? And 63 percent of Americans favor that support. What's the likelihood of a candidate who favors arming Ukraine becoming the next House Speaker? That's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, it seems that in general, it seems that the um, the Republicans consider China to be the greatest threat and tend to be less focused on Russia as a threat or, or, or they don't recognize Russia as much of a threat as China. The Democrats seem to be the opposite. And so the Democrats are very much in favor of giving aid to Ukraine in order to fight Russia. Um, the Republicans tend to feel that we should be concentrating on China. And what else is keeping Republicans from wanting to arm Ukraine? The other issue is that Republicans are pointing out that there's a lot of money that's needed here at home, uh, particularly for the southern border. So southern border security is closely tied to this. You know, how are we defending the borders of Ukraine, but we're not defending the southern border of the United States? However, this morning I checked my news feeds and apparently Biden has approved funding for a border wall uh, for at least part of the border. So I wonder if that is a concession that he's making for the Republicans in the hopes that they will then approve aid to Ukraine. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. I saw that, too. What would happen in the Russia-Ukraine war if the U.S. reduced or stopped funding of Ukraine? I, I think we absolutely must continue uh, supporting Ukraine. We must win this war. And I say we because if we do not support Ukraine, Ukraine will definitely fail. It cannot stand up to Russia alone. If, if Ukraine goes, Russia moves west. And then what's next? Poland's next. The Balkans are next. Um, and what message would that send to Xi Jinping? You know, it would tell Xi Jinping that the U.S. is an unreliable partner and that we will not defend Taiwan. And this could actually cause World War III. And now just coming back to the potential government shutdown, you know, the House passed the stopgap measure, a 45-day stopgap measure. Uh, how could any ensuing government shutdown impact funding for Ukraine? Well, the funding for Ukraine doesn't come out of a single purse. There's there's a number of different programs and purses. There's presidential drawdown um, and uh, other uh, spending. So the ones that are already in place will continue. In other words, the measures that are already in place will continue. The ones that will not continue would be a vote on any new spending. So let's say that they had not the Congress had not reached an agreement yet on Ukraine, and then the government shuts down. Well, that agreement can't move forward until the government restarts. All right. Antonio Graceffo, thank you again. Thank you. The infighting in Washington is casting doubt on continued U.S. support for Ukraine. EU leaders say they hope the U.S. will continue backing the war-torn country. I hope. The hope of the Ukrainians... And I think that everybody that doesn't want Putin winning this war is to look for the ways for the U.S. to retake this issue and continue supporting Ukraine. As far as I oversee the situation in the United States, I'm very confident um, of support for Ukraine from the United States. Uh, what the United States is working on is the timing. The remarks were made at the start of the European Political Community Summit, currently underway in Spain. 
The forum was set after Russia's invasion to boost cooperation among over 40 countries. European leaders are expected to assure Ukraine of long-term support at the gathering. As Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Chairman of the Judiciary Jim Jordan are competing to win support for the House Speaker position, some are frustrated with Congressman Matt Gates for even putting other members in this situation in the first place. And TDLE's Melina Wisecup has some updates for us this morning. Melina, what do some want to do about Gates? Hi, good afternoon, Chris. Yeah, there are some very frustrated Republicans within the GOP after that ousting of Speaker McCarthy. But what does that uh, look like as far as consequences that they want to take? Is that just complaining in the media about Gates sort of throwing some bombs at him in that direction? Or is it something more serious? Something more serious could be perhaps expelling him from the Republican conference, an idea tossed around by just a couple. Mike Lawler from New York did tell reporters just last night that he wants uh, Gates to be expelled from the conference. Don Bacon also echoed that, saying that it would be best even if Gates wasn't even a part of the Republican Party at all. Now, Garrett Graves, who's among the leadership, he's not actually in a leadership position, but he's very close to McCarthy, who is actually one of those key figures that helped McCarthy to work with some of those outlying Republicans. Republican uh, votes back in January to secure that gavel. Garrett Graves said that any consequences that Matt Gates faces would be a force first discussed in their conference. But so far, none of the members have put forth any motions to expel him. And we haven't heard that they've had that actual conversation in the conference. So right now, it's been all just media talk. Now, Matt Gates is a very interesting dynamic here because he was one of the last holdout votes for Speaker McCarthy's uh, initial speakership position back in January. And in the end, he only voted present. So he's always been a very strong critic of, Mac of McCarthy. But the interesting thing about this motion to vacate is the reason why Matt Gates did this, right? He did this because McCarthy, he says, worked more with Democrats than Republicans. But ironically enough, Matt Gates relied on mainly Democrat votes to oust McCarthy. He was only able to do that because all Democrats supported it, making it more of a Democrat vote than a Republican one. Chris? All right. Thank you, Melina. And with this unresolved business to be handled next week, lawmakers have left town. Some are headed to late Senator Feinstein's funeral. Where is that happening today? Yeah, Chris, so that's definitely going to be in the headlines. We will see this funeral of Senator Dianne Feinstein. She carries a strong legacy that's happening in San Francisco, California at around 1 p.m. local time. Her burial will be private, but we can expect to see some high-profile Democrats to come and speak. Now, she was the longest-serving female senator, and she was also the oldest senator serving in Congress before her death at 90. President Biden will be offering a recorded speech. Vice President Kamala Harris is going to be there giving a speech as well as Schumer and uh, former Speaker Pelosi. They'll be there as well. Now, Senator Chuck Schumer, he has a big trip ahead of, ahead of him after this Feinstein funeral. He's headed to China. He'll be visiting three Asian countries, China, Japan, and South Korea. Now, we can expect to see that the communications he'll be having in China are going to mainly revolve around economic issues, those economic ties, because he is taking a bipartisan group, a mix of Republican and Democrats from the uh, Finance Committee. Now, Schumer, he gave some idea about what he'd be talking about. 
He said our trip will be a visit to the most consequential region in the world, focusing on the issues of economic competition and security, on American national security, and on global leadership in advanced technology. Now, remember, uh, Congress did pass that Chips and Science Act last Congress uh, to sort of compete with China, and we can't expect to see more action from Schumer on China in the coming weeks. But, of course, this is the fourth trip by a high-profile official in the past couple of months, Biden sent uh, some of his top officials to go there as well as he's trying to work out some of the kinks in their relationship. Great reporting as always, Melina. Lawyers for former President Trump have asked a judge to postpone his classified documents trial until after next year's election. They say they haven't received all the materials needed to prepare his defense. Trump's lawyers are urging Judge Eileen Cannon to push the trial back until at least mid-November 2024. They say there have been delays in obtaining and reviewing the classified records referenced in the indictment. The presidential election is set for November 5th, 2024. Trump currently leads the GOP field by a large margin. Prosecutors suggested last week that the Trump's team request was unreasonable They said some of the delays were beyond their control. The DOJ says it has turned over most of the classified evidence to the defense. President Biden has chosen Hampton Dellinger to head the Office of Special Counsel. The New York Post reports he was part of a legal firm Hunter Biden reached out to in 2014 to help Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings. Emails from Hunter Biden's laptop show the two had dinner together in March of that year, according to the Post. The younger Biden was on the board of Burisma between 2014 and 2019. Whether or not Dellinger performed any legal services for the company is unknown. The Office of Special Counsel works to end government corruption and protects government employees and whistleblowers. Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis changing his campaign strategy. The Florida governor is moving resources and even staff to Iowa, making it a win-or-bust state. DeSantis is telling about one-third of his staff to relocate to Iowa. This comes as he's diverting more resources to the state amid a new infusion of cash. DeSantis badly trails Republican frontrunner Donald Trump in opinion polls in Iowa and elsewhere. Iowa is the state with the first Republican nominating contest, which will take place on January 15th. The governor aims to campaign in all of Iowa's 99 counties. Meanwhile, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is overtaking DeSantis in two states. A Winthrop University poll in South Carolina shows Haley leading over DeSantis by almost five points. In New Hampshire, a Suffolk University poll shows Haley leading by a strong nine points over DeSantis. However, former President Trump is still the clear frontrunner in both states. Coming up, a motorcyclist is charged with assaults after smashing the window of a woman's car in Philadelphia. Two young children were inside the vehicle. And a new development in IRS data breach from last month. Thousands of alleged victims may soon have a website to follow the case. That story and more after the break. Welcome back. 
General Motors says the auto workers strike has cost the company $200 million. That comes two weeks after rolling strikes began at GM, Ford and Stellantis. GM is still fine because it had more than $23 billion of cash on hand as of June 30th. It also reported third quarter car sales 21% higher than the previous year and more vehicles on car lots since 2020. Ford and Stellantis have not reported how much the strike has cost them so far. As for the actors' strike, negotiations are moving forward for Hollywood's largest union. In a joint statement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, SAG-AFTRA announced that talks would continue on Friday. They are then expected to work over the weekend and resume on Monday. This could be a positive sign as the actors' strike stretches on. The negotiations just started up on Monday. It was the first time since the strike began. Is the end in sight for the historic United Auto Workers strike? As the work stoppage nears its third week, potential signs of progress may be surfacing. Here to discuss is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, have the two sides made strides in reaching a deal? Well, Chris, I can say this. Uh, Ford and the UAW... Uh, have narrowed their differences on pay increases. Now, with that, I have to put an asterisk on this statement uh, because uh, this sign of progress is, according to sources from Reuters and Associated Press, citing unnamed people familiar with the situation. So, I don't know, maybe we have to take this with a grain of salt. But according to them, Progress was actually reported at all three companies, uh, with some offers being exchanged. And another said there was uh, more movement in talks with Jeep maker Stellantis uh, compared to the other companies. But, you know, regardless what they say, we won't have to wait very long to uh, find out what's happening with negotiations. Because Union President Sean Fain will actually update members tomorrow on how, uh, how it's going with bargaining. So, Don, we just heard that the strike has cost General Motors $200 million. What's been the total cost of the strike so far? Right. Uh, so, according to economic consulting firm Anderson Economic Group, total losses are reaching nearly $4 billion for the first two weeks of this strike. And, Chris, let me just break this down for you uh, and what makes up that nearly $4 billion. We have about over $300 billion in wages lost, and then we have uh, the Detroit 3 manufacturer losses, supplier losses, uh, dealer and customer losses, which amount to over a billion dollars respectively each. And we just heard yesterday, yesterday that Ford and GM are also laying off another 900 people, which, you know, could potentially add even more to the amount of wages lost. How many people have been laid off so far? Chris, over 3,700 people have lost their jobs due to layoffs at GM, Ford, and Stellantis. And why so many people have been laid off is, is because... According to Ford, their production system is uh, very interconnected. So when one facility has reduced work activity, it's going to also reduce activity at other facilities downstream. So the UAW strikes have knock-on effects, even for factories uh, that are not 
particularly directly targeted uh, for work stoppage. Uh, but, you know, Chris, of course, that's what the companies are saying. But UAW uh, President Sean Fain says uh, something different. He says that actually the big three automakers don't have to lay off a single employee. That's what he's saying. He says that they're simply trying to put pressure on the union to end the strike. But, you know, as for who's right, I think personally both sides maybe have some bit of merit uh, respectively. All right. Thank you, Don. Good to see you. Thank you, Chris. A new development in the massive IRS data breach last month. Thousands of alleged victims who had their information leaked may soon have a website to follow the case. The website would include hearing schedules and documents from their case. Federal law and IRS rules require this notification. Prosecutors say it's impractical to notify the thousands of victims personally. IRS contractor Charles Littlejohn allegedly stole tax data from some of America's wealthiest, including former President Donald Trump. Prosecutors accused Littlejohn of leaking that tax information to media outlets, who then published it. A motorcyclist is suspected of smashing the back window of a woman's car in Philadelphia with two young children inside. He's now charged with multiple counts of aggravated assaults. Prosecutors allege that Cody Heron is the man who was caught on video near City Hall. The video went viral and showed a group of motorists surrounding 23-year-old Nikki Bullock's sedan. A motorcyclist is seen jumping on the back of the vehicle and shattering the window. He then brandishes what appears to be a handgun as she emerges from the car. Despicable behavior when you see an individual that feels that it's okay to jump up on a car and smash the back window um, with a young lady inside with her two children. Not going to be tolerated. She told me that her children are having a lot of issues sleeping. Uh, just a lot of nightmares coming through with this incident. So the DA's office will be working tirelessly to prosecute this case. Uh, and I will be sticking with it. Looting is becoming a regular occurrence in many cities. Dozens of stores are closed down nationwide over theft and organized retail crime. And in places like New York, bail reform laws are allowing alleged violent criminals back on the street. Epic Times contributor Trevor Loudon says this is part of a communist agenda. Loudon is a noted author and public speaker for more than 30 years. He has researched radical left, Marxist, and terrorist movements and their covert influence on mainstream politics. Trevor Loudon, thank you for joining us. First, what is social justice and how does it relate to the soft on crime policies we're seeing around the nation? Well, social justice is a euphemism for socialism. Um, it's the, the redistribution of wealth and power. And uh, the Marxists believe that criminals are a marginalized underclass. Crime is caused by social oppression and therefore justice means eliminating social oppression, what we would call ordinary justice. Now, James Lindsay, an expert on Marxism, recently said the crime wave causing dozens of stores to close around the country isn't soft on crime, but communist destabilization. What is communist destabilization and how could it be at play here? Well, communist destabilization is, is one part of the revolutionary process. It is important to undermine the, ju the justice system. 
So people have no faith in the system where criminals are running rampant. During the early days of the Bolshevik Revolution, the Bolsheviks released criminals from prisons and allowed them to attack the, the houses of rich people, anybody who might stand against them, middle class people. And you'll find that Democratic Socialists of America and other Marxist groups are actively electing soft on crime DAs because they know that that will bring chaos to the cities and that will bring revolution one step closer. And also the mayor of Chicago recently suggested state-owned grocery stores as a solution to stores leaving the city due to uh, yeah, organized crime there. Many conservatives are already speaking out about this, saying this would usher in socialism and Soviet-style uh, supermarkets. What's your take on this? Look, Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, is a hardcore leftist elected by the Communist Party USA, Democratic Socialists of America, Freedom Road Socialist Organization, and other ra radical, in many cases, pro-Chinese communist groups. Ab absolutely. The goal is to destroy the middle class, to destroy middle class businesses, so that the only alternative is the state to own everything. So it's in completely in line with the revolutionary Marxist process to do this. This is, as James Lindsay is 100% correct, this is not soft on crime. This is hardcore revolutionary Marxism in action. So I think a lot of this would be really shocking to people and kind of hard to hear. What's the way forward here? I mean, how do we make our cities safe again? Look, really... Look, David Dinkins was the mayor of New York in the early 90s, a card-carrying member of Democratic Socialists of America. He was a Marxist, and he was super soft on crime, and New York became a disaster area. Tourists stayed away. The economy was sinking. Rudy Giuliani comes in with his broken windows policy. That is, every no crime is tolerated, small crimes, you know, little crimes were prosecuted. And the theory being, if you prosecute the small crimes, you, you get rid of the people and deter the people who go on to commit the bigger crimes. Well, Trevor Loudon, thank you very much. The U.S. Supreme Court won't hear a challenge to New York City's strict rent control laws. Petitioners say the rule takes away rights from property owners. The law regulates all buildings built before 1974 with six or more apartments. The city decides how much owners can raise rent every year. Landlords are also required to extend tenants' leases, except in certain situations. The petitioners calling, challenging the law say it's not constitutional. They also say the policies are forcing thousands of buildings into bankruptcy. It's not clear why the Supreme Court won't hear the challenge. Petitioners now plan to bring it to the Supreme Court by targeting certain provisions of the law. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, lawmakers want to relocate immigrants within the European Union amid a new influx. Find out how Poland responds to the idea. Amazon and Microsoft facing another antitrust probe in the UK this time about their dominance in the cloud computing market. We have the details. 
and a glacial lake bursts in India, causing at least 14 deaths. 100 people are still missing. We have more on the flash flooding soon when we return. And now some short headlines from Europe. Poland is still against relocating immigrants within the European Union. This comes as the EU again is trying to broker a deal that would include such relocation efforts. We need to speak out about it collectively, as a nation, as Polish voters, as those who have the right to decide about the future of our country. Because this democratic verdict, which will be the result of the referendum, gives us legitimacy to show our position clearly on the European Union Forum, what is society's will. The remarks come amid increasing arrivals of immigrants from the Middle East and Africa. They're seen as existential challenges for the bloc. Poland says Europe is now facing the same challenges it faced in 2015. That's when the immigration crisis was at its peak. Poland's ruling party faces elections this month. One of its main campaign promises is to protect Poland from illegal immigration. Amid the renewed influx of immigrants, European nations are ramping up border control. The Slovak prime minister is among those announcing they're adding more police to the border. We agreed to join that initiative and do random checks. Personally, I still think that we cannot close the entire 400-mile border. All we can do is try and focus on smugglers. But the flow of migrants will probably only be stopped by the weather. Besides Slovakia, Poland, the Czech Republic and Austria are also ramping up border security. The number of immigrants entering Slovakia has risen by 11-fold to nearly 40,000 this year. Most of them head to Germany and Western Europe. Slovakia's check on its border with Hungary will start on Thursday and last 10 days. Meanwhile, in Germany, authorities raided properties belonging to a Russian oligarch. They searched several properties in southern Germany near Munich. German authorities say they were acting on search warrants. They didn't provide further details on the operation for tactical reasons. Last year, police raided a villa belonging to the same oligarch, a court later deemed the raids unlawful. Meanwhile, the UK wants to limit smoking. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak proposed raising the legal smoking age in England every year. I propose that in future, we raise the smoking age by one year every year. Sunak announced the proposal while addressing his Conservative Party at a conference. The new law would ban tobacco being sold to anyone born after January 1st, 2009. That means a 14-year-old today will never be able to legally buy a cigarette in England. Sunak is also promising action to curb vaping among young people. Charity Cancer Research UK says smoking is the biggest cause of cancer in England. It's responsible for half a million hospital admissions every year. And lastly, a Norwegian author is bringing home the 2023 Nobel Prize in Literature. Author and dramatist Jan Fasa writes in so-called New Norwegian. This version of the language is only used about 10% of the country's population. The writer has published multiple plays, novels, essays, poetries, and more. 
Fossa won a prize equaling about one million U.S. dollars. Amazon and Microsoft face yet another antitrust investigation in Europe. This time, the U.S. tech giants are in hot water with Britain's media regulator, Ofcom. It asks the country's antitrust authority to investigate the two companies' dominance in the U.K. cloud market. Here's more. Ofcom said its study found features that made it harder for U.K. businesses to use multiple cloud suppliers. In April, it said it was worried about the practices of Amazon Web Services and Microsoft because of their market position. Ofcom said the companies had up to 80% combined market share of UK public cloud infrastructure services last year. Businesses told Ofcom they were concerned about it being too difficult to switch or mix and match cloud providers. Amazon said it disagreed with the move on Thursday, and the firm argued Ofcom's findings were based on a fundamental misconception of how the IT sector works. Microsoft said it was committed to ensuring the UK cloud industry remained highly competitive. Britain's Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, will lead the investigation. It welcomed Ofcom's move and said many businesses now completely relied on cloud services, meaning it was essential to have effective competition in a market worth more than $9 billion. The CMA said it would conclude its investigation by April 2025. At least 14 people have died and over 100 are missing in northeast India after heavy rains caused a glacial lake to burst its banks. According to the Indian Space Research Organization, more than 60% of the lake water drained out after the rupture. Footage shows bridges washed away, houses collapsed, and army bases and other facilities damaged. Authorities say the flooding has impacted the lives of 22,000 people. Among those missing, 22 were army personnel. The Weather Service issued warnings of landslides and flight disruptions. More rain is expected in the region over the next two days. Staying with India, journalists and writers in the country are getting a jolt from law enforcement. Indian police raided the homes, plus the news office they work for, as part of an ongoing investigation. Officials say the outlet is taking illegal foreign funding. Here's a closer look. India-based media company NewsClick is now accused of taking money in exchange for pushing Chinese propaganda. The investigation began after a New York Times report in August named the outlet as part of a global network. Its members were reportedly taking payments from American billionaire Neville Roy Singham to publish pro-Beijing content. If some portal or agency will run China's agenda after taking money from them, such things cannot be allowed to happen in the country. Indian officials confiscated laptops and smartphones as part of the probe. NewsClick's website says it launched in 2009 and is dedicated to covering news from India and elsewhere with a focus on progressive movements. India has fallen to its lowest ever ranking on the World Press Freedom Index, put out by Reporters Without Borders. It now sits at 150th out of 180, down from 140th last year. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government rejects that rating. NewsClick officials were not immediately available for press comments. Japan is discharging the second batch of treated radioactive water from a wrecked Fukushima nuclear power plant. The release was handled by the Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO. It will last for about two and a half weeks, with some two million gallons of wastewater flowing into the Pacific Ocean. Let's dive in. The initial release in late August sparked concern among some neighboring countries, with China being one of the staunchest critics of the move. 
It even triggered a blanket ban on Japanese seafood products by China. TEPCO said it had received more than 6,000 harassment calls from abroad between August 24th and 27th, alleging that many appear to originate from China. Nuclear authorities, including the United Nations nuclear watchdog, have said the wastewater release will have negligible impact on human health and the environment. The discharge is seen as a key step to decommissioning the nuclear power plant, which suffered meltdowns after being hit by a tsunami in 2011. It was the world's worst nuclear plant disaster since Chernobyl 25 years earlier. Coming up, a new exhibition in Amsterdam hopes to shed more light on the rise and fall of Julius Caesar. How is Caesar's legacy still relevant today? And workers travel from all over the world for Burgundy's grape harvest. They pick from dawn to dusk, bending, cutting, and carrying loads of grapes. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. As the race for House Speaker begins, Congressman Matt Gates is facing backlash from fellow Republicans. Some say he should be expelled from GOP conference. A memorial honored the late Senator Dianne Feinstein with lawmakers paying tribute. Among them was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who will soon lead a bipartisan delegation of senators to China. President Biden vowed to support Ukraine, though further military funding was excluded from a last-minute budget deal in Congress. The White House said it would soon announce another Ukraine aid package. Former President Trump's lawyers asked a judge to postpone the classified documents case until after the November 2024 election. They say the prosecution has been slow to let them look over the evidence. President Biden chooses one of his son's former associates to head the office of special counsel. The lawyer was part of a firm that Hunter Biden reached out to in 2014. Progress seems to appear for the United Auto Workers strike. Reporters say Ford and the UAW have narrowed the differences over pay raises. Data shows the strikes cost nearly $4 billion in the first two weeks, and more than 37,000 auto workers have been laid off. The rise and fall of Julius Caesar is still relevant today, according to historians at a new museum in Amsterdam. NTD's Andrew Thomas takes us there. I came, I saw, I met my doom. The Hart Museum's latest exhibition tells the story of Julius Caesar's rise to emperor. The display also depicts his fall before he was assassinated by members of the Roman Senate. When you look at Caesar, you will see him in all different places in society. You see him in Las Vegas, in Caesar's Palace. You see him in the Caesar salad. You see him in comic books. Birney says visitors will get to know every aspect of Caesar's life. Caesar led the Roman armies in the Gallic Wars, then defeated his political rival Pompey in a civil war. He played a critical role in the demise of the Roman Republic and the rise of the Roman Empire. Caesar conquered a big part of the world for the Roman Empire. And we see battles every day nowadays. So we think the topic of Caesar 
is as contemporary. The museum's historians say Caesar's legacy is still relevant today, even more than 2,000 years after his death. We, we must not forget what we learn from all these situations. And if we make the connection with all the different views, I think a lot of people uh, can feel the support for their view. Birney hopes the exhibition makes visitors feel something. We wanted to make the connection with the audience through the hearts of the people because there is already so much to do about our brains and about messaging. But really, great art sparks your heart. So we named ourselves Heart Museum. The museum will be open to the public until May 20th, 2024. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Burgundy's grape harvest is underway and producers are expecting a bumper crop. Workers travel from all over the world to the prestigious French wine region to pick grapes. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more from the grapevine. As the sun rises over Chateau de Pomar, harvesters are already hard at work. Bunches of grapes are ripe and ready to be picked from the vines at Burgundy's largest walled vineyard. So we have more work this year than uh, the year before, but we are happy with that. Uh, in terms of bottle, it should be, uh, we'll see the, the juice uh, yield, but it will be around 120,000 bottles. Pick too early, and these Pinot Noir grapes will be overly acidic. Pick too late, and the fruit will rot, or the sugars overdevelop. Frey settled on September to begin the harvest. It's a very uh, a difficult season to, for us, as the wine growers. But uh, today, during the harvest, and we have very good grapes, uh, ripe and a big, uh, a very nice quantity. So we are happy. In 2021, spring frost and bad weather wreaked havoc on Burgundy's vines. But 2023 is looking good. Today, we, we did some uh, yield estimation when the grapes were, uh, were still green. And we expect to have between uh, 45 and 50 hectoliters by hectare, which is very, very good. The grape harvest is hard manual labor. Workers pick from dawn to dusk, bending, cutting, and carrying loads of grapes. They come from around the world for the Burgundy harvest. Joseph Bala has traveled all the way from Cameroon. I am here because I, it is my first experience. I want to test. I, I enjoy because I, is, uh, the, what you say, the, the atmosphere is very, very easy. I joke, I cut. Now these grapes will have to ferment before they end up in a wine glass. Who will be America's newest billionaire? The winning numbers for the massive $1.2 billion Powerball jackpot have been announced. The six winning numbers were 63, 9, 35, 64, 54, and Powerball 1. They were picked at lottery offices in Tallahassee, Florida. The drawing did produce a high number of tickets matching the five white balls, but not the Powerball, with ten tickets each worth at least a million dollars. The last grand prize winner was July 19th this year. The next Powerball drawing is Saturday. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for joining us. I'm Chris Beers.